Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 125. Shalom, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome once again to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 125 and part 12, an analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. Once again, might I remind you to get the most out of this teaching series, I recommend that you navigate over to my website and download any of the free resource documents addressing Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events that I'm calling Exhibits A and B. Please navigate over to cominghome.co.il. Navigate over to the podcast extras on the menu bar. In my previous analysis, podcast episode 124 and part 11 in this program series, I walked you through event numbers 8 and 9 of what I'm calling 27 events that I have identified as part of the major actions that shaped the last week of Yeshua's earthly ministry, actions resulting in his crucifixion on the fifth day of the week, which was then followed by his seventh-day resurrection. So let's continue where we left off last time. From the previous program, we learned there are eight days of unleavened bread in a plural sense. There is one night with unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. They are taken together. There are seven days and nights called the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Matzah. And of course, this is the reason why unleavened bread is a plural idea in the New Testament. The second point we learned from the previous program is that on the third day of the week, on the night of the evening called Tuesday, the 14th of the first Chodesh, or the first month, at least according to the Tzedok system of calendar reckoning, Yeshua and his disciples reclined to eat and memorialize the biblical Passover from Exodus 12, verse 8. The timing between the Tzedok and Judean systems of reckoning time for biblical festivals shows us that there were two days between the events, those of the Sadoc system and those of the Judean system. Therefore, the actions of that last week of Yeshua played out in this way. We begin with Mark 14, 12, which is also duplicated in Matthew 26, 17 and Luke 22, 7. Now, on the first day, in a sequence of upcoming days of eating matzah, when they slaughtered the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, quote, Where do you want us to go and prepare 
that you may eat the Passover. Now let's compare this with the Judean Pharisees and the temple authorities. In John 18, 28, and it was early morning, but they, referring to the religious leaders, they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might, or perhaps could, eat the Passover. John 19, 14 through 16. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. Then they, referring to the religious Judeans, not wanting to pursue Yeshua's crucifixion at that time, they said, quote, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Let's now continue to unravel the events as they were rapidly unfolding. This is event number nine. This event number nine takes place on Tuesday night, the evening of Aviv 14, in Jerusalem's gated community of the Sadok priests, their families, and their supporters. On the night of the 14th of the first Chodesh, or the first month, Yeshua and his disciples were reclining and partaking in the real biblical Mosaic Passover in the home of a Messianic believing Cohen associated with the house of Tzedok in the old city of Jerusalem. According to Luke 22, 14-15, Yeshua said, With great desire I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. To eat the Passover refers to eating the slaughtered lamb. And in Matthew 26, 20-21, and Luke 22:21, let's compare these statements. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now we go to Luke 22, 21. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. All this happens with the eating of the Passover or the slaughtered lamb when we are commanded to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs together. And this is based on Exodus 12, verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat him. At that opportune time, Yehuda jumped into action. And we learn this from John 13.27 and John 13.30. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, referring to Yehuda. Then Yeshua said to him, What you do, do quickly. Having received the piece or the fragment of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So I asked the question, why was it necessary for John to tell us that it was night? It is quite obvious that it was night. So why remind us? 
because Passover was not just any night, which is why even in rabbinic Talmudic Judaism, they have inserted into the Seder four answers to the question, and this is actually sung at the Passover table. Why is this night different from all other nights? The answer to the question is because this is the night of Passover. Therefore, John 13.30 was written to remind us of this particular time, saying, And it was night. So, when reading the gospel narrative, there should be no ambiguity in our understanding of what was going on that night. Indeed, this was a real full-on Pesach, or Passover Seder, not some illegitimate copycat rehearsal. Whereas the upcoming Pesach, or Passover of the Judeans, which was upcoming in two days' time, that was considered unfounded and invalid on grounds that it was going to be observed on the wrong day. They were doing it on Aviv or Nisan 16, based on the sighted moon calendar. So there is no doubt that this very night when Yeshua was doing the Passover ceremony with his disciples, that it was to distinguish between those who observed the event at the right time, referred to as the sons of light, that reflects Yeshua's ceremony, and those who observed the event at the wrong time, referred to as the sons of darkness. And let us remember that in Hebrew, the term for the word night is Lila. Not only does it carry plenty of theological significance, that which belongs to the chaotic elements of darkness and death versus the ordered elements of light and life, but it also reveals the true meaning of the Passover. According to Exodus 12.42, most English translations render the Hebrew text in this way. Again, Exodus 12.42. It, referring to the Passover, is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. However, the Hebrew text presents it in this way. Leil Shemurim, who Lehovah, Lehotziam, Meeretz Mitzrayim, who Halayla, Haze, Lehovah, Shemurim, Lechol, Banei Israel, Ledorotam. Paraphrased, it kind of comes out sounding like this A night of watching or guarding is he towards or for Yehovah, for he caused them to leave or to make an exit from the land of Egypt. He, Yehovah, this very night, towards Yehovah, he watches 
or you could say guards, for all the sons of Israel towards or even for their generations. The Hebrew of Exodus 12.42 was not about a solemn ceremonial observance. For this doesn't even capture what was really happening. This was about a night for Jehovah to watch and to guard his people and for his people to watch and to guard their hearts for him. And this was precisely the point of Exodus 12, 23 through 24. For Jehovah will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two posts of the door, Jehovah will pass over, or more accurately, according to the Hebrew, he will become immovable or fixed in his place at the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for or towards you and your sons forever. In Hebrew, le'olam. So you see, Jehovah put himself on a watch or on a guard at the doors of the homes for his people. And he did not permit the destroyer to come into their houses to strike them on condition that they follow his given instructions in the correct manner. Therefore, Pesach or Passover came to be understood as, quote, a night of watching or a night of guarding. So with this in mind, consider what Yeshua said as he went to Peter, James, and John when they were in the garden. This is Mark 14, 32. Sit here while I pray. Yeshua then took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful to death. Stay here and watch. Shortly thereafter, he returned and found them sleeping. So he said to Kepha, or Peter, in Mark 14, 37 through 38, Shimon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. He then goes on to pray again, and once again he returns to Peter, James, and John. And we learn this in Mark 14, 40-42. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Die, it's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed 
into the hands of sinners. Rise or get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is near. What we learn here is that Yeshua was on watch for them, but they were not on watch or guard for him. This was an earlier lesson in the form of a previous parable that Yeshua taught his disciples, as it's recorded for us in Luke 12, 39-40. He said, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When Yeshua was reclining with his disciples at the Pesach, or Passover table, it reminded them and yes, even all of us, that the biblical Passover ceremony was about Yehovah's new covenant promise towards his people, according to the Sadok calendar reckoning system, not according to the Judean Pharisaic system. So this is how Yeshua presented it according to Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16, and 44, 23 through 24. Let's read the passages together. But the Kohanim, that's the priests, the Levites, the sons of Tzadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says Adonai Yehovah, they shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge, and they shall teach my people between the holy, meaning the set-apart, and the unholy, meaning the common, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean." In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge him according to my judgments. They shall guard or watch over my laws and my statutes in all my seasons, or in another way, my festivals, and they shall set apart my Sabbaths. This is really significant because it was the Apostle Paul who based his theology on all of this when he said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10, but concerning the times, referring to the Moedim or divine appointments, and the festivals, referring to the seasons or the Chagim, he says, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of Jehovah so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Those are the birth pangs, by the way. And they shall not escape. 
But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Master, Yeshua the Messiah, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So here, Paul is using the same terminology that is spoken about concerning the Sadok family of priests in Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16, and 23 through 24, when he says that they shall guard or watch over my laws and my statutes in all my seasons or festivals or moedim, and they shall set apart my Sabbaths. So you wonder why Paul is using terminology like the times and the seasons or the Moedim, divine appointments, and also the Hagim, or seasons or festivals. He's using very similar terminology. And then he goes on to talk about the sons of light and the sons of the day versus the sons of darkness. So you see, these terms, sons of light and sons of the day, were known as descriptions of those walking according to the house of Tzedok festival reckoning system, based on 364 solar days and not based on the 354-day plus a 30-day intercalation period every few years, dealing with the sighted moon reckoning system from the Jerusalem Judean leaders. And this is why Shaul, or Paul, said, but concerning the times, referring to the seasons or the Chagim, and the festivals, referring to the divine appointments or the Moedim, he says, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. So, Paul spoke and went on to speak about our hope of salvation, which was linked to the great last day resurrection of the dead, or in Hebrew, Techiat Hamatim. Paul linked all of this to the concept of the last trump. So when Yeshua was praying in the garden, what happened? He gave very specific instructions to Peter, James, and John, and he said to them in Mark 14.32, Stay here and watch, or stay here and guard. This is precisely the idea of Exodus chapter 12, verse 42. This was the lesson taught by the house of Tzedok when they used their times and seasons reckoning system. 
and we are to watch for him to shine his light through us into the world's darkness with his messianic truth and with his full redemption in the final and second coming salvation of Yeshua. Then it will not be possible that we would be caught off guard. Now I'm going to take a very brief break and then on the second half of our podcast today, I'll come back and we will return to speaking about event number nine and we'll talk about a statement that Yeshua made concerning his upcoming Passover Seder, Aviv 14, when he said to Peter and John in Mark 14, 13, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 125. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is the second half of our podcast today. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. We're talking about event number nine and a statement that Yeshua made concerning his upcoming Passover Seder on that Tuesday night of V14, when he said to Peter and John in Mark 14, 13, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. The city, as it is translated, was the gated community of the House of Tzedok priests, their families, and supporters in Jerusalem's old city. We know that there was a community of the Sons of Light living there, as they were also living in many other areas of the Roman Empire, including that of Judea. Historically, Many scholars refer to this Jerusalem neighborhood as the Essene Quarter. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote about it even in his own day. You can read about this in his Wars of the Jews, Book 5, Section 145. But if we go the other way westward, it began at the same place and extended through a place called to the gate of the Essenes. After that, it went southward, having its bending above the fountain Shiloach, or Siloam, where it also bends again towards the east at Solomon's Pool and reaches as far as a certain place which they call Ophelas, or the Ophel, where it was joined to the eastern cloister of the temple. Many archaeology scholars agree with Josephus, identifying the entrance to the area as coming through the Essene Gate, at least according to what was written by the late Bargel Pixner a number of years ago. Many of them were of the house of Tzedok and had retreated to the Judean wilderness of the Qumran near the Dead Sea, 
where they devoted themselves to a life of meditation and deep studies in the Hebrew Scriptures. They shared everything in common and followed a strict code of conduct. It is known that they were also living in other locations of the Roman Empire as well, meaning not just in Judea. This gate of the Essenes is still, to this day, part of a continuing archaeological research project. However, we will have to save this discussion for another time. I think what is more important right now is the statement that Yeshua made concerning that community that Yeshua referred to as the Sons of Light when he said in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe or trust in the light that you may become sons of light. Concerning this, Yeshua's disciples asked him the question in Mark fourteen twelve, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? The concept of preparation day for the Passover involves the slaughter of the Passover lamb and all preparations for eating of it after the sun sets when it becomes dark, or in Hebrew, when it comes to be Lila. So, with the question that the disciples asked Yeshua, where do you want us to go to prepare that you may eat the Passover? He responded, and he said to them, in Mark fourteen thirteen, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Now, ordinarily, a man would not likely carry a pitcher of water, for it was not customary for men to carry water. It was women's work, and this was the cultural norm of the day back then, and we can see a snapshot of this in Genesis 24, verse 14. However, because of the statement, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, it appears to indicate that this man was a resident of that priestly gated community in Jerusalem, the one that Josephus referred to as the so-called Essenes in Jerusalem's old city, of which you entered their quarter through what was called the Essene Gate. We know from historical sources, such as Josephus, that water and water purification rites played very important roles in the everyday understanding of ritual purity. As for the identity of the man in question— well, he might have been the father of John Mark, a man that I think is perhaps the author of the Gospel of Mark and the writer of the book of the Gospel of John. But again, we're going to have to save this lesson for another time. Circumstantial evidence indicates that this family of Jerusalem's so-called Essenes from the Essene quarter of Jerusalem, they had no shortage of wealth and influence, which would explain the wealth and political influence that gospel writer Mark ostensibly had. 
it was quite likely that Yeshua and his disciples celebrated their Passover in a large upper room belonging to this wealthy family. In any case, just the fact that a very specific man is mentioned as the one who was carrying that pitcher of water, it would be very unusual for any of the Judeans and the temple authorities to be caught doing such a thing. It was just not the culture of the time. This is evidence enough to suggest that Yeshua's disciples were instructed to make Passover preparations there in Jerusalem's quarter of Jehovah's loyal priests of the family of the house of Tzedok, because apparently they were known to carry their own containers of water. In other words, among the faithful and true priests of the so-called Essene quarter in the old city of Jerusalem, Passover lambs were not brought into the temple or the temple precincts and slaughtered there, because the Tzedok Torah faithful priestly class had nothing to do with all the political and religious corruption. The Tzedok priesthood, perhaps referred to as the Essenes of Jerusalem, as they were called by Jewish historian Josephus, they were much too purity-minded in their pursuit of serving Jehovah in Torah truth, according to Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16, and Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24. From a chronological point of view, their Passover timetable would have followed the 364-day solar calendar priestly tradition, where the Passover always falls out on the third day of the week, or what we would call a Tuesday of E14. And once again, in that one year of Yeshua's last public ministry, there appears to be a two-day time divergence between the two different religious calendars, the Judeans and their cited moon calendar, the Kohanim of the Tzedok priesthood, and their solar calendar. So Yeshua instructed his disciples to make the Passover ready with the house of Tzedok, according to Mark 14.13. A man will, or who will, meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house which he enters. Accordingly, on the Tzedok Passover preparation day, or the Tzedok Passover lamb slaughter day, that was Tuesday of E14, Yeshua's disciples slaughtered a Passover lamb. And they did the slaughter and made everything ready for the Passover Seder that night within the gated priestly community, which would not be such a far-fetched idea given the archaeological information that we currently have concerning the so-called Essene Quarter in Jerusalem's old city. Yeshua knew that there is nothing in the Torah specifying that a Passover slaughter 
must happen within the temple or the temple precincts. This was a Judean ruling to control everything and to keep all the religious laws standardized for the nation. What we learn from the Torah is this from Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 8. But you shall seek the place where Jehovah your Elohim chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, and there you shall eat before Jehovah your Elohim, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which Jehovah your Elohim has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. The temple priesthood and the religious leaders of Yeshua's day were known to be corrupt as they earnestly sought out more money, more power, and authority to exercise their control over everyday life with standardized Jewish religious law for everyone. But Moses said in Deuteronomy 12:5, but you shall seek the place where Jehovah your Elohim chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. For many generations, it was always understood that Jehovah's name and his dwelling was not in a temple made with hands. That was a Pharisaic and temple priesthood invention. According to scripture, his name would be found with the rightful priests or the Kohanim of the Levitical Sadok family line. Thus was Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24 written and explained as follows. And they, referring to the Levitical Sadok family line of priests, they shall teach my people between the holy, that is the set apart, and the unholy, referring to the common and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge him according to my judgments. They shall guard, or in Hebrew, to watch over my laws, my statutes, in all my seasons, or the Chagim festivals, and they shall set apart my Sabbaths, which includes all the Sabbaths of the festivals and not just the weekly Sabbath of Shabbat. So later, this principle could be found in the words of the prophet Malachi, chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. My covenant was with them of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me, and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. 
He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest or a Kohen should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is a messenger or a malach or angel of Yehovah, but you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says Yehovah Tsevaot. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. For generations, the uncorrupted and true Sadok Levitical priestly family knew their divinely assigned role in Israel. But because Pharisaic and Sadducean temple Judaism had the upper hand of authority and it gained control of all the Jewish religion for the nation after the corruption and fall of the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees of Hanukkah fame, the house of Tzedok was, in fact, persecuted, and among them, many were singled out and killed. So the Tzedok family line of Kohanim, or priests, made plans to settle in safer places, seeking refuge away from all the Jerusalem corruption. And this is the basis for why Paul wrote what he said when he referred to it in Galatians 4, 21 through 26. He said, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, referring to the law of sin and death, not the Mosaic Torah, do you not hear the law? Referring to the law of truth in the Mosaic law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. In Paul's day, those born according to the flesh were considered the Judean Pharisees and the temple Sadducees. And he of the free woman through the promise which things are symbolic. Paul then goes on to say, For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, referring to the bondage of the law of sin and death, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, referring to the idea of the corrupted priesthood mentioned in Malachi 2, 5 through 9. And then Paul says, this corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So he was referring to Malachi 2, 5 through 9, and the Judean Pharisees and temple Sadducees. But then he said, the Jerusalem above, referring to the Sadoc Levitical family line of Kohanim, that Jerusalem is free, which is the mother of us all. 
but it was a Judean Pharisaic custom to require the people to bring their lambs to the temple for the slaughtering ritual because it was big business for the religious leaders. Yeshua said in Luke 16, 13-14, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the Judean Pharisees, who were the lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. Why did they react as they did? Because their interpretations of the written laws of the Torah were different. The true written law had something else in mind concerning the Pesach or the Passover. That is, that the people should slaughter their lambs at their own homes, because the ritual was to be very personal for every family member, according to the Hebrew of Exodus 12.4. Therefore, Moses wrote what Jehovah told him to say to all of the elders of Israel in Exodus 12.21-24. Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For Jehovah will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, Jehovah will pass over, or literally in Hebrew, he will become immobile and fixed in that very spot where the door is, and he will not allow the destroyer to come into your homes to strike. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever." I believe this is why Yeshua responded as he did when he told his disciples to slaughter the Pesach in a place that was not in the temple and not under the authority of the corrupt Sadducean priesthood nor of the scribes and Pharisaic leaders where everyone else among the Jews would have gone according to their religious customs traditions, and laws. So Yeshua's disciples said to him in Mark 14, 12, where do you want us to go and prepare or enter into the process of slaughtering and roasting the lamb that you may eat the Passover or eat from the slaughtered lamb and memorialize the Pesach ceremony or the Seder? He responded and said to them in Mark 14, 13, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters, which we would understand to likely be a man from the house of Tzedok. 
Now, I am out of time. There's a lot more I want to discuss here from event number nine, but we're going to pick up on the next podcast, and we will talk about the written Torah of Moses and how to carry out the divine instruction of the Pesach, and that it had to be done on the 14th day of the first month or the first Chodesh of the new year, based on Exodus 12, verse 6, when Yeshua said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The timestamp is Tuesday night of Eve 14. His suffering or crucifixion would come on Thursday afternoon of Eve 16, according to the Tzadok calendar reckoning system. But for the Judean Pharisees, their Passover was yet to come in two more days, and they would call that Passover Aviv 14. So this explains why the Gospel of John says, concerning Yeshua's crucifixion, now it was the preparation day of the Passover in John 19:14. That's because that day was the preparation day of the Passover for the Judeans, but not for Yeshua and his Talmudim. We'll come back and talk more about this and a number of other things related to this event number nine. That's next time. I want to thank you for joining me in this podcast series and all of the events that shaped his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.